Welcome back, everyone, and welcome to the second episode of our brand new Talking with Apes podcast. Uh, first of all, we'll introduce ourselves because we forgot last time. So, Tom, tell us about you. Hi, I'm Tom. <laughs> I don't know what you want to say. Um, I'm an activist with a specialty in climate, I guess. That's, uh, that's I think, the best way to describe it. Uh, I'm interested in basically every problem in society, but... I read most uh, on si on uh, climate change. And why did you want to start talking with apes together with me? Um, because I think there is a uh, a need for a bit of a European conversation on all these uh, societal problems. Kina, what about you? Well, I I'm not one of the co-founders. The co-founders are you and Tom. Um, but I joined because. I found what you guys do is very, is very um, admirable, very uh, important too to have that kind of uh, English-speaking conversation that's happening around these topics. And uh, it's honestly the first one I've saw in Belgium. I, I, you would think that we're too late to the party. You would think that there already exists a lot of people that's doing what we do. That's not true, <laughs> at least in Belgium, and um, not in English. Yeah, and definitely not in English. Um, who I am, I'm just, uh, I work in automation. I am interested in uh, societal problems and especially technologically speaking, like the threat of automation. I literally work in automation and we've touched on the threat of automation last time on the podcast. I'm interested about artificial intelligence. I'm interested in all of this stuff and how can we try to make it serve society instead of leading us toward a fucking dystopia. Uh, and yeah, I'm Morgan. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders together with Tom. And I really thought it was important to start some sort of independent media platform because, yeah, I'm studying media and I have noticed that there's not that much variety within Belgium, especially, as uh, Keenan said, when we're talking English uh, media and internationally accessible media that you can access for free and that is not like super influenced by right-wing politics <laughs> um You're so listening to a bunch of lefties yes um <laughs> and yeah i um uh yeah since this is like only voice is like hearable uh i'm trans so use he him pronouns please and um yeah i am also interested in lgbt issues obviously indeed indeed um for me also something i forgot to mention since tom said we're a bunch of lefties and you have a migrant between you yes <gasps> yes a syrian refugee a syrian refugee so a terrorist <laughs> indeed indeed so i am also obviously very interested in the idea of presenting uh something some kind of content and some kind of activism to people who do not speak dutch where we live where everybody does speak dutch sometimes it's very difficult to find that kind of content and to feel connected to the activist society there's a lot of people i know we know that are here in belgium and once they came here they lost all sense of activism and group and they're like not interested into it anymore because they couldn't find that international vibe and that uh, they lost the language they use but yeah 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 and like today we're actually talking about something connected to that like 
the way that people that are not Belgian are treated differently within Europe, Belgium. Um, I, like the other day I was listening to the radio and I heard that there is apparently more than 18,000 migrant children, like refugee children missing in Europe uh, between 2018 and 2020. And it was the first time I heard about it. And I thought that was really shocking. So I talked to Tom and Keenan and we said, let's let's talk about it. Let's try to give it a platform. Because how the fuck do we not know about this already? How is this not everywhere? It's 18,000 children missing. Usually if there's one child missing, like there's helicopters everywhere. Yeah. Well, first of all... <clears throat> It's it's we think it's eighteen thousand. Um, that's from a study, but uh, many platforms are uh, debating whether or not it's more people because, uh, of course, it's always guesswork how many people are not there. You can't ask them, um, or maybe if it is uh, less, or if other people aren't taken into account in that number because uh, they just they disappear, but they pop up somewhere else. It is basically not simply people just being lost, but people um, disappearing from the for, from the European governments. Uh, basically, people not being known where they are uh, within Europe. Um, yeah, like Tom explained. So the issue here is, um, especially like children and young people, you would think that. Europe and uh, member states of the European Union and the European Committee would be interested in knowing where the fuck these children are. But uh, even if they do pop up later, they uh, appear in a different country or they are not actually kidnapped or like uh, human trafficked or anything, we still don't know. And not knowing is pretty bad when you're talking about children you want yeah and like these children they're okay like the reason why these children are missing like let's let's talk about that for a moment mm -hmm. it's mainly because the european union has a very um yeah a, a, a system for registering these children that it fails them uh, most of the time and um yeah, so there's all of these, th th and these children are also like very afraid when they come to Europe, which is understandable. Like they're minors, sometimes they don't have their family with them, and um, they hear all these stories of grown-ups being sent back to their country. And although that wouldn't really happen to them, uh, they still think it might, etc. So they are very um, vulnerable to people that want to harm them like smugglers for example or people that want to you know get them into human trafficking etc and if i understood it right the european union um doesn't really have to care because the smugglers make them sign a contract uh, that Not they sign are a contract it's more of a deal so you're in turkey or greece or whatever and you want to get smuggled into europe into mainland europe as they call it and you pay a smuggler or you pay somebody who's advertising themselves as a smuggler to get you across the borders. There's no contract, but 
the European uh, Union and the people who want to sweep this under the rug and like not take the responsibility for it are like, well, it's basically a business transaction. You're paying somebody to do something and it's your responsibility because you're not being kidnapped or anything. You're paying them. Yeah, But so the European Commission is, first of all, aware of this. We, as the broad public, might not uh, hear a lot about this, but uh, the Commission and the European institutions and a lot of the member states are very much aware of how bad this is. And it's a, it's a conscious choice to ignore it. But indeed, they... But why is it so bad? Like, okay, I, I get what you're saying, but just... Well, like, first of all, because why they is want it so to bad ignore it. They, they don't want to do yeah, it. Yeah, but like what, what Keenan just said, like, okay, they pay a smuggler and the smuggler gets them into like Germany or whatever and like everyone is happy in the end, right? Or not? So the country is happy because it doesn't have to deal with this further. But the people, of course, often then get... Um, <clears throat> get tossed into a, into a human trafficking system... Uh, once they are within the European Union, and that can be anything from sex work to uh, cr other criminal, uh, well, not sex work isn't a criminal act, but to criminal acts like theft and other things that people don't want to be in, of course. Um, so, to s in summary, these children, they ask a smuggler to smuggle them, and once they arrive they are picked up by human traffickers and that's how they disappear or how sometimes that's what happens sometimes we just don't know um what would happen is like you have to understand that a lot of there is a lot of children who get sent from their home country to take the exodus ride to europe to seek refuge to seek asylum and sometimes it's a conscious choice it's a conscious choice to send a child along because there isn't enough resources to send more family members or send a child with a guardian. So I know it sounds super negligent to send your child like that into the wild, but sometimes it is really the only choice. And what happens is, okay, this child, we, we, we talk to a friend of the family or something or somebody we trust, quote-unquote, but then that person give them to another person and that person give them to another person and then that child is like left to its own devices and they have a certain budget and they want to use that budget to get to mainland Europe and yes most of the times what happens is you know most of the time they make it actually like most of the time they do make it to mainland Europe sometimes they make it and they get registered sometimes they get They don't get registered, and that's what was Tom talking about. They pop up later. They get sent to another country without being fingerprinted or anything. And that's the problem here. We think the problem is that because of the European Union handling of people getting into mainland Europe, like if you end up in Hungary or Croatia or Greece, you don't, like I'm t talking out of experience here, you don't want to get identified Everybody tells you don't get fingerprinted, don't get ID'd, because if you do, once you reach the country of your destination, you will get back. You will get sent back to Greece because that's where, technically, the European Union is like, well, you arrived in Greece, you should be handled by Greece asylum system. You are a refugee of Greece, and yes. Greece's problem. Yes, but you don't want to be in Greece because obviously Greece does not treat you very well because they're underfunded and overworked and. Let's be real, the European Union did, like, spend... They, they put all of this pressure on Greece. Don't be too nice about it. They squeezed Greece for 
everything. Like exactly, they, exactly. It's and you know, you you hear terrible fucking stories about the Greek sinking boats with children in them, but this doesn't happen right away. This happened after years and years of Greek austerity being and. So yeah, to get back to the point of like the these children is, some of them do get back to do get to the destination, and some of them don't. And where do these children go? But if I understand it right, these this number like the eighteen thousand and so much children are children that have been registered in Western Europe, and then and they then they disappeared. Yes, that's that's the because that's the basis. If you didn't have that basis, well, we're talking about a much bigger. Of course, yeah, it, the, number. the 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 number of children that disappear. But like, how can it happen that even though these children are cared for, or like you know, they are registered in the European system, they are supposed to be cared for. Like, how can they then still disappear? Well, because there, first of all, is no European system. The European Union, uh, for as far as I'm aware, has no central data bank. So it has no way of, as a whole, dealing with this uh, registration uh, system or process. Which means that a child is registered, for example, uh, in Greece, if it does, and then disappears in Greece, the Greek government suddenly loses track of this child, and then it pops up in France, for example. Uh, but those two are also not talking to each other, maybe, and therefore the French and the Greek government don't have the same information uh, or have... Uh, or do have the same information, but are basically not putting it together that this is the same information. I think their information does exist. Like from what I remember, uh, when people are talking about like being fingerprinted and stuff, like your fingerprint goes to a central database, or at least a mock-up of a central database. Like there's a, like when people get sent back to Croatia or sent get get sent back to Turkey or get sent back to Greece, that's what the asylum country is talking about. It's like. Well, you f we find that you have your finger printed in Greece. Why aren't you in Greece? So they do have kind of a record, but they do not use it to <laughs> to the greater good. They use it in the other direction. They use it to persecute mm -hmm. and take uh, take autonomy away from people seeking refuge. And that's why, like, yeah, that's that's the big problem. Like, it is demotivated. It's it's discouraged to get to trust the European countries. When you're in that kind of situation, it's much easier to trust somebody speaking your own language, somebody claiming to want the best for you, than the police forces or the law enforcement who are understaffed and overworked and frankly do not care about you at all. That's what happens usually. And... If we're talking solutions right away, well, one of the one of the bigger problems I think, like from from uh, the research Tom did, um, it's that the European state countries are sometimes unwilling or unable to work with language speaking and people who speak the same language, like diaspora or like uh, people from the same culture. Why do you not make sense of this resource? Like, if you're having problem with missing children and people not children not trusting you, you have a community within your country that probably does want to help, but it's never asked to. Yeah, I also think one thing we talked about before is maybe assigning 
a fixed guardian to a child once it arrives within a country, like a guardian that speaks the language. I mean, of course, one guardian can take care of several children, but so the child has one central point of like to refer to if it's afraid, if it needs something, you know, like we're talking about children as young as 10, 12 that have to travel alone or, you know, like some children, their parents just die or their parents get into human trafficking and they make it like there is so many stories and they're just, yeah, the, the, the one solution is the, the solution is there. Like it might work for a 17 year old that knows what like it needs and that knows what country it wants to go to that has enough money. Like for, for that refugee child, maybe there is like a system, this system is fine, but for a 12 year old that, lost a parent on the way and is just afraid you know like yeah as Keenan said of course they're gonna trust someone who speaks their language someone who reminds them of home much more than some governmental institution that they have no connection to and I mean it's not even a, it's not just a situation of trust it is a it is a situation of pure incompetence and stupidity on the on the side of the governments often you even in Belgium young people are put on a train in group and just told to go to a certain place with no like guardianship or nobody going along for the ride well, i mean what can you ex- how can you not expect that to go wrong you have a bunch of people that f- recently arrived in an, in another continent often often um, that probably don't speak the language unfortunately belgium is not the prime example of English speaking and and internationalism mm-hmm. in, the, in in that sense. Indeed. So the local populace is also not going to be able to just magically talk to them, and then you tell them go to this specific place. Yeah, this it's village. A, it's <laughs> a it's a recipe for disaster, and then add on top of that the distrust for the government, which functions in a very cold bureaucratic way, very impersonal because nobody there's no uh, link with the communities with other diaspora. There is no, uh, you know, there's all these bad stories going around about if you get fingerprinted, you get sent back to that other country. Uh, Don't go there, don't do that. You know, it just creates the perfect recipe for disaster and for for a failing integration system. Compare that with um, something that I didn't put in the notes, uh, but uh, that I know the Netherlands have have evolved a little bit uh, on, on on the subject of integration where they now use a lot of civil society organizations uh, in to connect with people on a more personal basis when they enter the country. Yeah, and these organizations want to help. Yeah, yeah and you create a personal link. You know, we are, we are social creatures. It only makes sense to do it that way. Indeed. Um, like, and, and honestly, like, if we're being honest, like, even I can tell you from experience, when I... When I came to seek asylum in Belgium, I ended up like first. My first city was uh, Brussels. That's what everybody tells you. Go to Brussels because they have the uh, center for refugees there, the Consariat. And you apply. It takes three days or something. You stand in line. It, How it, old were you at the time? I was 16, 17? No, 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 no. I was 18 uh. or 19. Um. I mean, yeah, I was treated as an adult, obviously. Mm. Like, I, wa- I was technically an adult. Um, and 
I got there, and from there I got sent to Liège, which is a uh, a country in the south of Belgium, city, uh, city in city, the south yeah. of Belgium. Sorry. <laughs> and yeah, like when I ended up in Liège, there was actually some uh, Red Cross people from Moroccan descent, from Lebanese descent, who spoke the language and they wanted to help. But my journey when I w- first arrived in Belgium, when I first arrived in Greece. It was never right away welcoming. It was never, okay, here's the resources you can use to do whatever you want to do. It was a fight against being sent back. It was a fight against being caught. It was, I remember in Greece, we wanted to register for a paper that allowed us to move from one island to the capital of Greece, to Athens, because Mm -hmm. that's the center of all of the uh, smuggling and stuff. And... In order to get that paper, you need to basically jump a wired wall to get into the center to stand in line. And that's what we did. And you can see how unwelcoming that is. And on the same like time I was on that island, riots happened inside one of the detention centers. And like you know detention centers, when you hear that word, you think of criminals. You think of uh, lawbreakers. You think of people who are dangerous. But we're talking here about literally children and civilians and they just came into Greece. There is literally no difference between them and all of the tourists on these fucking islands. But they were put into the detention center without being allowed to leave, without giving them food or water, which resulted in a riot. And you can see like from there... It's already you're already distrusting all of all of these people, and I don't want to take away of the of the gravity. So tell me if this is highly inappropriate, but I get it from from the way you're describing it, and from doing from reading the things, the articles. Um, it almost feels like the European Union has basically created a Hunger Games kind of scenario. Yeah, you jump across, jump over this uh, highly dangerous fence, uh, survive this conflict with other uh, refugees, pitting people against each other, uh, making it as hard as possible to basically get out of that situation. And if you make it, you make it. You know, like congratulations, you and you're one of the good guys. Yeah, if you make it God. to Athens, actually, like the people on the airport, if you're if you're smuggling yourself with an air, with an airplane, which is one of the more expensive options, which is mm-hmm. not available to everybody. I was fortunate enough to be able to do that. The people at the airport know, they know you're a refugee. And what they do basically every day, they let 50% of the people get abroad the plane and 50% have to try again. That's it. Like, it was clear that these people didn't care about identification. They didn't, they only cared about, okay, how do we move this problem from this country to another country? So it's not our problem anymore. It even happened to me in Germany. In Germany, I was caught, quote-unquote, by a train uh, inspector who saw my Syrian passport, who I spoke to, and I was like, hey, just take me to the closest like detention center or whatever like, to seek asylum in Germany. She pretended not to understand English and sent me I on mean, my way. To be fair, if you're just in a random spot in Germany, you might come across someone who doesn't speak English. That fair, is a possibility. Fair enough, but I think I was pretty obvious. I was not that conspicuous. Mm. But, you know, the idea of, uh, well, we don't want, like, the trouble, just do whatever you want. But, like, that's not a problem. But if I was a child, and I looked like a child, you know, I did look like a child. <laughs> but nobody cared. You did have a beard, though. Did I? No, I shaved it, actually, before uh, okay. I got on the train on Germany. <laughs> 
But even in that sense, I mean, regardless of whether somebody is an adult or, or, or a child... You want identification. Yeah, and people don't magically turn into this all-knowing, responsible individual when they're 18 years old. It's not like... <gasps> It's not like Cinderella, you know, the clock hits 12 and suddenly... You know, I don't know what you're changes. talking about, Tom. That is exactly how it went Exa- for me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the wisdom just started, like, getting down. So one of the biggest up. things is... Up. <laughs> not down. No, no, getting down from the sky onto Oh, yeah, head. it fell it on fell me. It fell on you. Yes. So one of the biggest things... <laughs> one of the biggest things... Uh, one of the big problems is for especially children... It is so important whether or not they get this, when th- whether they get registered as adults or as, as as children, because it makes such a big difference whether or not you can be sent back. Not where only that, it makes a difference for your whole life as an asylum yeah. seeker. Actually, I know a friend who who seeked asylum in Finland or Sweden, and because he was seventeen and six months at the time, he got treated as a minor. He got right to an education. He got right to actual good housing he didn't have time to sp- he didn't to have he didn't have to spend time at the red cross camp he got such a nice life compared to people who are 6 months older than him yeah and so that makes that it makes no sense because obviously obviously sure children should get extra care obviously but there is again no magical button that gets pushed that changes all of that and you want basically everyone to be at least to a certain degree educated uh, or to be, you know, given to the give opportunity them also to integrate. The, yeah, the, the possibility to integrate because, yeah. Okay, but like, let's see. Like, we talked about the problem. Is it fair to say that the European Union states are not tackling this issue? Yes. Yeah, of course. In my opinion, yes. I mean, they, they know about the numbers. It, isn't it like a, a lack of resource? Isn't it a lack of funding? But to be fair, I also think there's a lack of... Uh, publicity on it like when when i talked about this neither of you was like oh yeah obviously i know about this i hear about it all the time you know like and politicians also work in the way where they only change something if there is like public pressure to do something about it yes and there is a let's let's be fair about this at the uh, at the risk of sounding like a communist or anarchist again which i don't have a problem with though there is a neoliberal or liberal. There is a there is a status quo when it comes to migration, at least in Belgium and also in in the entirety of Europe. The only exception to that was Angela Merkel at one point when she, for a moment, said "We're schaffen das." There is the uh, there is the status quo that on the left and the right they both agree on this. You know, migration should be limited, should be you know uh, just, but you know stern and control and limited there is this is this attitude in belgium the migration policy hasn't changed whether it is uh, an, an, a right-wing nationalist whether it is a liberal or a social democrat sitting in the chair and now a christian democrat there is no real big change in migration policy so there is a status quo nobody wants to you know see the people coming in apparently and if you would be extremely democratic and poll in europe probably a big part of the population wouldn't either. That is due to also politicians not being, you know, willing to to create a platform for it. People are not uh, informed of what migration really is and are mostly told about the dangers and the risks that are that come along with it or all the big trouble. The Mexicans coming to rape our children and take our jobs. 
Yeah, or or people or migrants stabbing people in the middle of the Ger- of Germany. Where was it? Uh, and other bullshit like that. Yes, and we rarely talk about all the right wing terrorists we have in these. Countries. Let's not mention that today <laughs> in Belgium. Um, uh. But I mean, the n- the National Bank of Belgium has shown in a study which was ordered by a right wing pol- by right wing minister, uh, by the way. That migration has a positive effect on the economy. It does. The only v- variable. I thought you were going to talk about the fucked up study that Bachtje did. Where like no, no, that's <laughs> a different thing. Uh, drug policies for another time. <laughs> War on drugs. Um, no, the National Bank in Belgium has proven like migration has a positive effect on the economy if you integrate those people in your economic, social, cultural, of course, political society. Which is exactly what the European Union is refusing. I they mean, focus a lot on Frontex, on the border control, but they don't put a lot of effort and energy and money into integration systems. Yeah, it's actually amazing how much resources they put into finding where you've been and where to send you back if they could. Yeah. I mean, also, like, talking about needing migration... European countries aren't always doing the best with keeping up the population... Which is needed. I mean, yeah. Is, is there any policy? Like, I've I haven't heard of a policy of a European country that allows for legal migration. If that's because legal migration is good. But we used to have, like, you know, Hjastarbeiders. I don't know yes. the English word for that. It used to be huge. Like, in guest I remember, workers. yeah, I remember in Germany, the one millionth Italian guest worker got like a a free Vespa or something from the state and it was a huge party and it was like, yes, we are getting these workforces yeah, that are like doing all our like all our manual labor mm-hmm. and it's like great and everyone's happy, you know? And uh, where is that attitude? Like <laughs> Yeah, it's not there anymore. It 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 got uh, put in the same box as the coal mines when they closed <laughs> in Belgium. Um we, that's the reason why Belgium has such a significant Moroccan-Italian uh, uh, diaspora, because those people were invited to come and work in Belgium, uh, to mostly work in the mines. Um, but when those mines closed, so did the friendly attitude of, of uh, inviting people. I mean, America was one of the most welcoming countries to migrants, uh, in order to manifest destiny across its continent, and, you know... S- Occupy the territory formerly by the indigenous people, uh, but now that they have reached the other ocean, the other side of the of the continent, they're a little less welcoming. Of course, it's like more. There are more variables to that story, but uh, or more uh, elements to that story. But it's one of the big things, you know. If you need workforce, then everybody is very welcome. The moment things get a bit tight, uh, indeed. But honestly, like uh, I do feel we uh, like talking about. Does Europe uh, did Europe handle its migration problem, quote unquote, well enough or not? Is something of another topic. Here we're talking about countries who signed international laws, who said actually we care about children no matter where they come from, and we're asking them to take action here. We're we're seeing that there is a real problem concerning children, concerning people who are underage, concerning people who just exist and to not publicize this enough and not talk about it enough and to just try to 
juke the stats basically like looking at the stats is it an adult is it a child is it uh, actually a smuggling issue or is it a a human trafficking issue well if you don't know i say you should consider it a human trafficking issue because you don't know and it could be it could be it could be very well that they get trafficked like i don't know if you guys remember that story but when i first came here there was this story of like people trying to get into a van to travel from greece to mainland europe and the person like the driver of the van wasn't aware of this smuggling situation and he left the door closed for more than 72 hours and everybody mm-hmm. suffocated inside that fucking van oh, mm-hmm. yeah, i remember that yeah you know like I feel like this kind of story should be like, well, maybe we shouldn't, we should do, we should have some policies that discourage people from trusting these smugglers. And these smugglers obviously are pieces of shit. They take advantage of something so horrible. Mm-hmm. And, but I can tell you from experience too, in Greece, these smugglers do not try to hide. They advertise themselves actively and publicly because they know there isn't enough scrutiny because the Greek government is like, well, these people are basically helping us to get rid of this migrant problem. It's what? a very perverse situation where the governments are basically in a in a in a more beneficial uh, position when they let the criminality go on yes. and the system go on, and the people kind of benefit from it. So it it gets it ke- continues to get fed and and to be used. Yeah. And maybe I am a bit naive or a bit radical in my thinking here, but I think what you sh- what should be done is. These smugglers, their place on society, their role in this story should be replaced by a legitimate path from Greece, from Turkey to mainland Europe. If somebody wants to seek asylum in Germany or in Belgium or France, let them, but let them do it safely. These people are children. These people are poor. These people don't have enough money. They don't speak the language. They're... They're just seeking a better life. And they're going to come here anyway, like you've seen. They're either going to come here or they're going to end up being human trafficked and prostituted or sexually abused. And let's be real. I mean, it's, it's, it's going to happen. So the right-wing approach of trying to keep it all closed it's, and it's tight... It's not going to work. It doesn't work. It clearly doesn't work. And the left should not take on the same stance. It should be honest and, and, and follow its own principles and that is system change and thus changing the mechanisms by which... This now happens, changing the uh, criminal system on which people have to rely, getting rid of that, replacing it by a legitimate one, allowing for freedom of movement, which at least for a long time was a lefty idea. And should be a human fucking right. And easy, yeah. I mean, the freedom of mobility is is so important. And if you want people to try, like if if you take that step, what you need to do before that actually, I think, is to gain people's trust again. By when you're when you're welcoming refugees or welcoming migrants or welcoming people, don't treat them as criminals. Don't put them in fucking detention centers. Try I, I I recognize the lack of resources, at least in that period, like in 2016, 2017, where it's like it was a huge influx. And even then I don't really buy it. Like I mean we, the European countries, can do a lot if they really want to. I exactly. mean, we have seen with Corona how much they want. If they want something, they can do it. We see it. 
I mean, we're going to watch it in, in a few hours with Eurovision. They can organize a fucking broadcast across the continent up to Australia. If you really want to... With a stage full of people. Exactly. In Corona times. The European community can do a fucking lot if it wants to. Yeah. It is a question of do you want to. Uh, and there, and if, if we want to change this approach, we should recognize that the European community and the European society is like the American society, is a country and that is, is a society that is partially migrants. And these migrants have always been part of the society and they will continue to be. That's the mentality that, like, if we're trying to influence public opinion here and people, like, who vote, well, I want you to understand that you're, no matter where you are, no matter if you're in a right-wing village in the countryside or in the city, your country has always had migrants in it. And these migrants have always benefited your country. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a debatable thing. Like you saw that right-wing uh, politician who asked the National Bank of Belgium, hey, prove me right by saying that migrants are useless for the economy. They prove him wrong. Turns out they're not. <laughs> um, yeah, so. But, yeah, and, and to speak to the, to the uh, counter-argument or the fear that the country is going to get overrun by these migrants. No, they're not. Like, when Luxembourg was forced to take in 12 people, 12 people in Luxembourg, not even 12 people wanted to go to Luxembourg. The, the Prime Minister of Luxembourg had trouble finding 12 people that wanted to be refugees in Luxembourg. Now you can have an emotional reaction to that and say, oh, these people aren't grateful for what they are offered. But the truth is, nobody fucking knows about Luxembourg the same way nobody wants to... The same way people don't want to stay in Belgium necessarily because it isn't, strangely enough, the greatest country on <laughs> earth. Um, same as in most people actually don't want to leave their countries, don't want to leave their societies, but they're often forced to. And... and the countries that are overrun, which are Italy and Greece now in this system... They're border countries that are not being helped by the European states. Yeah, they also don't get the, get the resources. Uh, so there's no solidarity there, which again, to the left-wing parties, stop saying you're not for open borders and not for blah, 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 and start talking in your own terms and in your own principles. Uh, talk about the solidarity between between countries and, and, and various peoples. Start talking about the freedom of mobility. Start talking about... You know, the integration system, which has to be, like, strengthened. That is the issue at hand. But also, like, to be more concrete about this issue, just start treating refugee children that go missing the same that you would treat a child from a European country that goes missing. If it's not been seen for 48 hours, you send the fucking police. You send exactly. the army if necessary, you know, like... The German police, when, when they were presented with the numbers, said, like, yeah, this isn't a priority case for us. Yeah, and, and this is unacceptable. Like, I mean, in Belgium, we had the case Dutroux, where it was, like, seven children that went missing, and they ended up in sexual shit, <laughs> uh, abuse, uh, and... It was the story. It, like for years, it was a huge story. And like, we have a case here where, okay, out of those 18,000, maybe not all 18,000 ended up in human trafficking, but we don't know. And that's the issue. Yes, indeed. It's a child is a child. And these countries who signed the Europe United Nations uh, Treaty of uh, 
what was it? That the rights of the child. Yes. The rights of the child are not the rights of the Belgian child or the German child or the Swiss Swiss child. It's the right of the child. And these people, these children are children. And uh, I don't know if that's too naive or too. Uh, it's not. Too it's mean. just not. Ask, these like, children are children, and they should be treated the same indeed, way a white I, child would be treated. Indeed, but I was gonna say like I don't know if it's naive to expect a country to respect the treaties it signed just. You know, when there is no enforcement. The UN can't enforce any of this. Well, but we, the, the citizens, can enforce it. We can Indeed. vote against any party that does not. So, yeah, that's maybe yeah, the, the, the main... Out. Yeah, but for now, at least, like from what I have understand, not a single political party cares about this. Not even the leftists. No, or, or to a very limited degree. At best, they will. Um, <coughs> at best, they will talk about like a little bit of funding for the for the border countries. Or exactly, but there's also no publicity on it. So, like, exactly. spread the news, share this podcast with anyone who cares about children, which I hope are many people in your life. If cafes and are open, you know, just mention at some yes, point when just, you're at the bar. Talk about Fun it. In fact, <laughs> eighteen thousand children are missing. Yes. Anyways, school guys, let's drink our beer now. <laughs> okay, so we'll. We'll see you next time and I hope you learned something. I hope you care about children. I hope you spread the news. See you next time. Don't forget to subscribe.